Hi folks, I'm Mary Claire Erdenast. Welcome to Play for Keeps podcast. We are recording new plays as podcasts in Ashland, Oregon, as a part of the Ashland New Plays Festival. We have created this podcast series to let you in on a conversation between creators at the front lines of new works. Today, we're listening to a conversation between Sarah Mitchell and Cara Quinn Lewis. Sarah is a Los Angeles-based writer, actor, and producer. Her play, Artichoke Hearts, is available in our premium collection of pod plays at playforkeeps.org, as well as a free pod play on this podcast. Cara is an administrative associate at Ashland New Place Festival and art director here at Play for Keeps. How did you get involved? Well, I um, uh, play, play for, for Keeps. Yeah, so yeah. I worked for Ashland New Place Festival. Um, this is my fourth year. Four, it's been four and a half years, I think. And um, I had always worked for nonprofits um, and doing like social media, website updates, um, event planning or coordination. Um, and they were just all the kinds of things that ANPF needed at that time. And so I came on board and just kind of like slowly got my, my feet under me. Um, yeah. Because it is a whole different world. Like I come from like more of a visual arts background and okay. writing has definitely become something that's really important to me um, as a creative medium. But um I was uh, just thinking about this recently, that last year's fall festival, which would it was my third fall festival, was the most fun I'd ever had uh, at a National New Place uh, Festival, like October event. I just felt like I was more open and interactive with the playwrights, and mm. I, I, I don't know, it just felt like theater was starting to become more of a yeah. community, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, for a lot of writers, especially for me, like, writing's always been, like, a very, like, private, personal process. Um, like, I went to school at SAU for acting, but then when I graduated and moved back to L.A., I kind of was like, do I even like this? Do I even like <laughs> acting anymore? Um, and then I... I started writing a lot and I, um, I had met up with an old, uh, middle school, my old middle school English teacher. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm like, gonna, I kind of want to like write. I think that's more, I, I love performing and I, I like performing my own writing, but I think writing is more what I want to do. But I, I just like, I've never really like written a ton and he was like wait like you've been a writer since you were 14 when you were like angrily journaling in the corner of my classroom like like you you all you've always been doing this but I think it's it's harder to kind of like at least for me anyway be like not have this weird um I don't know like nervousness to share my writing acting was just always mm. easy like it hop up and do a monologue but like writing is more of I don't know it's, it feels more vulnerable to me and so yeah. I think that like if you have other writers around you who you trust um and 
like hearing about their process and, and want to know that, then that's, um, it's good to have. Yeah. That's one of the things that excites me about the whole podcast part of play for keeps is like extending that community and, you know, having those connections with artists in a, a broader, uh, brushstroke. Um, yeah. it's not just like, you know, at a festival for a short time. It's something that like, you know, with all podcasts, it just lives on your phone whenever you want it, whenever you need inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. I was feeling stuck, um, a couple weeks ago and, uh, ended up listening to a podcast episode that it was eerily perfectly timed like the guest was dealing with the same issue I was and it was just it ended up being very a very inspiring 45 minute listen that's always the best (laughs) but um one of the things you said sparked something for me um one of the things that I just fell in love with playwriting with like I'm not a playwright but what I love about it and about playwrights is your process where particularly when you're doing like a festival or you're workshopping it, you get to see your writing like be taken off the page and hear it in people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of the process makes it seem way less lonely and more collaborative in a way. Like you're working with a team and you're like the conductor. I don't know. I just, I, I get yeah. fascinated by it. I, and since I've done the majority of like the plays that I've written have been I have I have two one person shows (laughs) and then I I have I have like a a short play that I wrote that's two people that I played one I like I'm not always I'm I'm working on it um and I will be but at right now where I am with my writing like I'm not necessarily great at writing things like outside of my perspective um or like outside of my voice so I often and and I think that is the actor part of me that like I I like writing for myself um but recently I had an experience where a script of mine was read out loud and it is a part that I wrote for myself and would want to play um if it's something that ever um got uh, made but uh it was really great hearing someone else read it and especially for just like dialogue sake and like learning how like if I I write something and I hear it in my head when I'm writing it am I writing it in a way in which the actor can get the way that I kind of want them to say it without me having to like give them a line read and that the girl who played my part was like reading it exactly how I wrote it and I was like cool I like now I know like how to write this dialogue to make it you know the words that I want emphasized emphasized if that makes any sense yeah no it makes total sense Um, I feel like that's what poets go through too like line spacing and what words get emphasized and um but it's funny that you said uh the, the bit about not writing for other voices because artichoke hearts is just chock full of other people's voices <laughs> <laughs> that's true that is true it is but it is from it's from my eye like it's mm. it's from my perspective of what they're saying and some of the um especially the early interviews um were i recorded i i always like when i meet a stranger and we'd kind of get in a conversation I would explain the project to them and ask them if it was okay if I recorded them some people said yes some people said no so sometimes it was literally verbatim 
what they were saying and then I sort of condensed those into smaller like sometimes like the the interview with the guy in the grocery store I have all the audio of that Mm -hmm. but that was a hour and 15 minute conversation in the frozen food section are you serious (laughs) yeah we just stood there for for so long and um and it it was definitely less of a one-sided converse that's the other part is like um I it's it's a conversation and and I'm what I'm showing in artichoke heart is just their side but the way part of the way that I think that people can trust each other is by relating to each other and if I kind of share I would kind of share what I was going through in my personal end of it. And then they felt comfortable to share with me. Um, so just all my stuff is just like edited out of that. Um, sure. But then other conversations, it was like, I, they said, no, um, but you're welcome to put it, you know, in whatever show form this is. And so then, and all I could do was take little notes on my phone or just, what I ended up really doing is just standing and listening and taking the whole conversation in and then going home immediately and transposing everything I could possibly remember. Um, I also have this weird, like auditory, like memory, like whatever the auditory version of like a photographic memory is. Like I can remember exact sentences that people said. Um, that's amazing. A lot of that too. I like, it's not like, I'm not like a, a kid genius or anything but like it's there's some weird thing that like i i don't know i always can remember certain things that people say if it hit if it landed in a certain way i can i can usually pull it out <laughs> well it's definitely a skill that it seems like you used a lot for artichoke hearts um and yes. I, it just struck me as we were talking about it that i was wondering if you could actually kind of uh talk about artichokes like hearts uh artichoke hearts and what it is just for listeners who don't know yet <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's a show about um, me um, going through sort of a heartbreak um, and trying to pick up pieces. And the way that I do that is by um, interviewing other people and asking them about their love and their heartbreak. Um, It started as my, it was my thesis senior year at Southern Oregon University. It was a 30 minute piece um and then I've since expanded it over the years um and yeah so I it's a one woman show and I embody the interviews so I like do all the voices of all the characters um and there's sort of a through line story with me trying to make sense of it all you know it's great and uh, it's funny I was uh I'm actually uh practicing putting together like a a our first trailer like an enticement trailer for um we're gonna have one for each of our plays and so I used uh, your play first and I knew that I wanted to um you know introduce the the trailer with your voice describing the project and then have kind of like little slices of each of the um, interviewees, each of the different people who talk to you, uh, you know, that you say you you speak in your voice uh, or in their voice. Um, yeah. And it was amazing how distinct each of the voices were. Like, your, your range, your vocal cords are able to just kind of, like, transform into these different people who strike 
like I can visualize them in my head and it's not you. Even though I was there the day that we recorded and I knew that you were doing them all, <laughs> each one <laughs> had a different uh, character pop into my head just based on how they sounded, how you made them sound. And so um, I was really grateful that I got to be there the day of the recording to, to see it live because it's, it's a really powerful piece. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's really nice to say. I feel like I'm still always struggling with, like, men's voices as opposed to the female voices. So I just try to, I don't know. But it it definitely is. I, I've, it's something that I've always done. I've always kind of been a mimic. And then I do voiceover acting in L.A. So it's literally my job to <laughs> uh, do a bunch of different voices. Like, last week I played, like, a six-year-old French girl, and then I also played a 45-year-old mom. So it was, like, just different. Um, I That's, like, I would do that forever and ever. I love, I have that weird thing where you, like, if someone's talking to me, I'm fully listening, but there is a part of me that's trying to understand the mechanics of how they're saying what they're saying. That's amazing. <laughs> if they, especially if they have an accent or if they, like, I don't know, certain people have like little vocal tics and things um and i i just always think that that kind of stuff is really interesting does it man itself manifest itself like physically like as somebody is talking and they have a really interesting way of speaking is like something happening in your throat that you're trying to like how can i like adjust something to be able to copy that <laughs> it's a little bit of that yeah I'm, I'm always like kind of like lifting my palate and just thinking like is that how they get up there like how do they like or like I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. It's less like, I don't know. I make it sound like I like, don't listen to what people say. And I'm just trying to figure out how they talk. But it's, it's sort of like a balance of both of those things. When you perform it um, or when you've performed it in the past, uh, did you ever like catch yourself kind of like, I don't know, is there any fear attached to like, oh, am I going to like get that that tone or that pitch that I want uh, or do you just practice it so oh, much yeah. that it's just second nature? I mean, some of the, like I said, like with some of the guys, the men, especially there's um, the interview that I do with um, the married guy um, who's like my friend's dad. I think it's like the third or fourth interview. Um, he He's someone I've known since I was uh, like eight. So it's harder for me to do impressions of people that I know really well because I, I know like their full range it's easier for me to mimic a stranger um, mm. because all I have to go on is like them ordering their coffee you know and so then I repeat like you know like vanilla latte with almond milk in their voice over and over and over <laughs> again but like when I know like um, when I know someone really well it's it's that interview and then my best friend who she um, that was the one where we're like hiking up a hill and, um, she says that, um, she hopes that love is like a rainbow shining out of your asshole or something like that. <laughs> um, her voice is very similar to mine. So that, that I just had to kind of like change her voice because it just was like, this sounds too much like me. Um, hmm. so yeah, it's, uh, it definitely, there is a lot of fear with it I try to do some physical things that kind of put me in the character um but yeah I mean it, but it, it also is like I sometimes feel like I'm just sort of 
saying their interview like through me. So there is a part of it that's just kind of ingrained in me at this point. Yeah. Uh, How many times have you performed it? Because it, it premiered at the Hollywood Fringe Festival and then you did it Oregon well, so it Fringe. Was, I did it. Yeah, I did it at school at SOU first. That was the 30 minute version for my thesis uh, in 2014. And then I did this longer version, the first version of this longer version at Hollywood Fringe. And then I put it away for two years. I, I do this thing with this show is that I, I can't, after I've done it, I can't look at it for a, a long time. It like makes me feel physically sick. Kind of. <laughs> Which is maybe bad. No, it's, um, but it's sometimes so, projects it's need personal, space to breathe. Yeah, it's so personal and it's so, like, it puts me back in my, like, 21-year-old mind in, like, kind of a lovely way sometimes, um, but also sort of like a self-loathing way sometimes. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I performed it three times, I guess, um, three different three different versions um a couple different times so one it of, just changes every time because as I get older and stuff yeah one of the thoughts I had was whether you were going to keep it like at as it is like time capsule it and then you know it'll be performed later by other 21 year olds and then I wondered if you would actually just keep amending it as you age and as your thoughts on love change and grow with time I wondered if you would just keep it growing with you oh yeah I that's the plan I mean I I have um it's I have like at least nine different versions of the show on my computer right now um and then also there's so many like other interviews that I haven't ever done I could do like a full hour show just on motherhood I could do a full hour show just on divorce I could do a full hour show just on parenthood like it's there's so I've done so many at this point that like there could be so many different versions of it and I also think that yeah as I get older the, my perspective does definitely change because I, when I was first interviewing people it was very much from the feeling of like I'm don't know what I'm doing because I this is like my first real intense heartbreak and like what what do I do now I just feel like I don't know I know myself better and I and I have obviously like lived more so I just like I don't know I can emotionally handle a lot more than I could um then but I think it will always change and I always I mean it just like talking to strangers is just something that I've always liked doing and um I I can't help but ask them personal questions because everyone just wants to talk about themselves and they all you have to do is just like ask the right questions and like be open with them and then people will basically tell you anything I don't think it's like a specific like thing just for me that I like I have this access to people that like that's what I was curious about like people yeah I mean I, I think it's literally just like I especially now even like and that year when I wrote the show, I was spending a lot of time alone. And so it was just like, I, there's sort of a freedom in, in just like, no one I know is around, no one you know is around. We're probably never going to talk about this again or ever talk again. So we might as well just be honest with each other. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I think you just, it's, 
it's a it's an openness and just remembering that everyone's just a person trying to exist and we're all doing it different ways and there's so much that can be learned from those different ways um and yeah i just yeah (laughs) that was one of the things that really attracted me to the whole like the piece as a whole like one of my life philosophies is that when you are questioning something or in need of answers you can really kind of just open yourself up and find these just like mentors that just pop out of nowhere like somebody you just end up chatting with in line somewhere and they say something that just like blows your mind open and you're like oh my god that's exactly what I needed to hear right now I also feel that way like about like certain song lyrics that come on or oh yeah phrases in books that I you know a book that I just happened to pick up from the library just like gave me some you know answer to a puzzle that had been bothering me for a year or something like that so I feel like that just like that magical quality of finding people like while you were going through this heartache finding people who were talking about love in such an honest way to kind of like not tell you how you should think or feel about love but just like open you to other perspectives and propel you forward so that you develop your own thoughts about what love means for you or how a relationship an ideal relationship would look for you or something like that it just helps you keep thinking about that for yourself well and it just felt like gathering data in a way (laughs) like it was just sort of like I need to know like all the different perspectives and then and in that I can find my own because I mean I think that and I touch on this in this show a little bit I think in this version um is that a lot of us have this like preconceived notion of love from movies and TVs and yeah, you talk about the Disney princess. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's pretty, it's kind of damaging in a way. And those things are fun. And I'm not one of those people that's like, let's boycott, you know, little mermaid because she like, you know, sacrifices her voice for a guy. Like I, I, that's a Hans Christian Anderson, like fairy tale. Like I'm not gonna, but there is an element of it that like, the whole you complete me thing that I think is very damaging in society at large. And especially, especially for women. Social... Oh, go ahead. Especially Sorry. For women. No, especially like with social media and stuff, it's like, it feels very performative and it's like, are you doing this for you or are you doing this for other people to prove how happy you are or with each other? And, and like, it's, it almost feels like a, and you know, I and I, I'm really not trying to sound like a, a bitter single single gal, but like it's and I, because I'm not. I actually really like being alone, and I'm happy that I'm alone. But it's, it definitely is like it's. I always wonder people's motivations behind deciding to spend their lives together because it really is like marriage in general is incredibly archaic. Archaic women used to be basically exchanged as goods. And then over hundreds of years, we, it slowly became sort of for love. And then now is more for love. And, and now people are, are getting married less, I think, because it's just not necessary. If, if you really have that bond and, and you, you're going to be partners for X amount of years, you don't need to declare that it's going to be forever because it's impossible to know if anything's going to be forever. Um, 
I just watched a, an interesting so, uh, video about yeah. that, about you know people of our generation waiting longer to get married, and um, they you know brought up some different topics about like why that is, and it is that I don't know. Just uh, I'm going to answer it for myself. I feel like people are just able to be more independent and able to decide what they're okay with in terms of um, like balancing one's independence with a uh, companionship, I guess, like, or like what, what do people get out of relationships? But, um, I, I could talk about this topic for ages, but I feel like I know like, it might devolve into something where we would need to go get drinks or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, I, I mean, I, I analyze and talk about this for Ever, never, always, so I always can. <laughs> well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with your piece, um, and it's funny, we have a car alarm going off outside, but I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just found it so unique. Like, your process reminded me so much of uh, projects I admire, like um, Humans of New York, or like documentary projects that explore a topic like love or other things and they do it visually with um mm -hmm. you know uh, uh photographs or video documentary style and I just thought it was so beautiful and unique that you were doing it in a theater piece like taking real stories real voices and putting them on the stage and giving it that magic that comes from theater like I remember just sitting in the sound booth listening to the you perform for the recording and like getting goosebumps and just being like this is amazing like distilling all of these different perspectives into one story that had a, like a lovely arc to it and so I was wondering about whether you'd ever thought about doing this project uh, through a different medium or if theater was always going to be the medium that it went through? I mean, it, the only reason why it was um, definitely theater then was because it was for my thesis in college. But um, it, I mean, especially through recording it with you guys, it made me realize, oh, this, wor I mean, this works as a, like a radio play because you don't need to see me I mean there is some movement obviously in it but it also obviously works just vocally if I'm just you know if you're just listening to it um but I I mean long term long 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 term goals is I'd love to turn it into a book okay um, but that's gonna just be very slow I think for, for I, I've already pieced together a lot of um the interviews I've already done but I, now I kind of need to go through my archives and get other things because um, I do think it works as sort of like narratively um, like little sh short stories essentially um, yeah. but yeah I and mean, that's the only other one I've really thought about I, I think it, it could work as like a, like sort of an episodic like show too um, but I the other part of it is like I don't want to like beat it to death <laughs> like I, I want to like <laughs> that's why I take space from it every time. Like there's so much that it's like when, like I feel like in high school and stuff, when you get like when a te 
teacher would assign an essay prompt and it would just be like, write whatever you want. Like that is sort of the show, like because there's so many different interpretations that I could come from all the different interviews. Um, but yeah, so I think a, a book eventually, but other than that, I, I do like it on stage and then as sort of more of a like radio play for sure. Um, I two things, I had two opposing thoughts just pop into my head uh I remember reading that you uh had a background in improv and so I don't know I was just curious if you ever just like jumped up on stage and just kind of retold people's uh descriptions of their perspectives of love uh just kind of like off the cuff yeah I mean sometimes um it happened once when I was performing at Oregon Fringe, I just like derailed my brain derailed. And I, I knew like kind of the gist of the rest of the monologue, but I just like started kind of just like improving it. Um, I mean, I think that that it, it definitely is that. And also, I mean, like there's, um, certain characters that, that I met also like, once you kind of, once I have like an hour 15 of audio of that guy in the grocery store, there's the improver in me is definitely then piecing together other um, sort of ideas of like what else he could be doing or, and, and sort of like the writer part of me then like takes that, like, Oh, I could write a whole thing just on that guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely, I mean, all my, all my performance definitely comes from the basis of improv. I, I don't think that I would have gone to school for acting if I hadn't been improving since I was eight or 10 or whenever I started. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that. And I, cause it, it's hard. The, the, the writer part of me wants to always be word perfect whenever I perform the show. But mm-hmm. if I get a reaction, action that I've never gotten before. I mean, it's, you're on stage performing like an hour long monologue essentially, or I guess a group of monologues. Um, and so there definitely have been times where I've been totally thrown and been like, well, I gotta get back on here somehow. I don't know how to do that, but. (laughs) Your process also fascinates me. And so when you talk about, you know, working on this over years and needing to give it space and time, um, do you uh, still do interviews during oh, the, yeah. those spaces? Do you just kind of keep growing your your database of uh, information? Definitely, and and also the the questions. I mean, to me, everything always relates back to love. Um, as cheesy as that sounds, but now as I like the the questions that I ask and the way that the conversations go definitely now where I am in my life are more like career oriented and and sort of like like how like are you happy (laughs) um less about like how is your relationship and more like how do you like balance the things that you really want to do and the things that you really need um so I definitely interview people all the time I mean I'm I am a voiceover actor, but I'm also a, a server and a bartender. So I literally encountering strangers all day, every day. Um, and so a lot of people come back and I have a lot of regulars, but I also have people that I like, you know, a guy will sit down at the bar and it's slow. And so then we end up having uh, 
there's just the other day I had this woman who came in and we, it was dead. She was the only one in the bar. Uh, it was, I mean, this is like, like, it's one of those kind of things that like you wouldn't believe unless it was happening to you. She sat down, she had a martini and then she was like, my husband just left me for his secretary oh, or no. like his assistant. Like literally like that, like, I'm like, this isn't real. Like this is like what happens in movies like this. And you and live she, in Hollywood. Like, we talked about it. We, I, yeah, I live in Koreatown and, uh, yeah. And I was just like, this is unreal. Like the, I, this is happening to her in real time and we just talked it through and um yeah I mean it, it I I think it goes back to just like it's an openness of of just everyone is just trying to exist and I think that it's especially right now it's really hard to remember that because everyone's everyone's in opposition in some way shape or form um and I think if we just remember that we're just people trying to do things and and be happy and and you know do the best we can then that can really connect us and and so especially in this time those are the kind of interviews I'm seeking out of of more like and a lot of um I've I've been finding myself like really drawn to women above the age of 50 I just think that like there are a um it there's so much wisdom and and so, so much like unheard wisdom, because I think that once women, you know, in, in society's eyes become like less desirable, people stop, li- people stop listening to women when they're less desirable, you sure. know, quote unquote. Um, but I think that they know the most and have seen the most. And so I'm just trying to like, like, those are the, the people that I'm seeking out now in my life, I feel like. Yeah, it's interesting. There's another play in the Play for Keeps lineup uh, called Fugitive Colors by Barbara Anderson, and I loved listening to it. It was it's um, four women, three, um, uh, well, two are like in their sixties, I think. One is in their eighties, and then the other is like twenty four. And it's these three women who get together once a month and. Uh, uh, go for a hike and just hang out on, I think, like a, a you know, a, a weekend, uh, like a Saturday or a Sunday. And it's just one of those days and they end up having, you know, a myriad, uh, <laughs> a myriad of conversations. It's funny. A friend just told me that you don't say a in front of myriad. So I just caught myself in my, oh. <laughs> I didn't know I that. Didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> they end up having myriad conversations. <laughs> It sounds weird, though. It totally sounds weird. Yeah. So I end up having various conversations about uh, big life things, (laughs) um, including career and marriage and, um, you know, whether to have a a child when you're single and in your 20s, if it's something that you really want. And it just explores a lot of these things. I was just riveted, you know, these are things that are really important to me to think about. I'm I'm 32, yeah. and it's just so wonderful to hear women. Um, yeah, I guess I mean it doesn't really matter what age, but definitely older than me, older and wiser. Yeah, yeah. I went to a. And, I mean, and, oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say it's, men have just been controlling the narrative for so long, and none of us. I mean, maybe we realized it, but I, now I feel like recently I've just been like, oh man, like I just need to like listen to women, like they're <laughs> the ones who know. What were you gonna say? 
Oh, I was going to say, I went to this uh, meeting um, in Ashland for women without children, and mm. it was previously a closed group for women uh, in the over 50 um, who were child-free, and um, just almost like a support group and a, a community and a network, and they opened it up uh, for this one-night Mother's Day presentation uh, uh, for all ages to come, and it was, I was just riveted. Like, it was just fascinating to hear people talk about what it was like not to have that presumed safety net that seems to come with people talking about having kids. Oh, like, you know, it's built in. They'll take care of me when I'm older. But it's, right. it's not a given. And, yeah. um, like, you know, it's, yeah, it's not a given. And so uh, to think about uh, women who didn't have kids and where they're at, and do they regret it at 60 or 70? And mm -hmm. um, the answer was no, <laughs> to at least to the women yeah, exactly. who were there. But they also weren't judgmental about it at all. Um, it was just what worked for them. Like one of my favorite lines from the talk was a woman in her late 30s who said that she didn't want to live an unexamined life and then pass that on to the next generation. Yeah. It was just hugely impactful. But then I have many friends who are moms, of you know one to three kids and they're in their 30s and I feel like they're doing a lot of self-examination and I don't think that they're passing on to their kids an unexamined life like they're they're writers and artists and they're exploring things and they're talking to their kids and learning from their kids and so I don't know I think that lessons can be found anywhere which is another reason why I like your play <laughs> And not everything is for everyone, you know, like not every, like if marriage isn't what my experience ends up being, then that's, that's that, you know, if, if kids isn't like what you want, then that, you know, like it's, it's, I think that we, especially as women get so put in a box of like, if you don't have X, Y, and Z, like you're a failure. But like, to me, success is so much more about like happiness and like being okay, like mentally and, and, you know, knowing that I'm a person that's going to always make mistakes, but also knowing that like, that's part of the like beauty of it. And, you know, I just, yeah, it's not, everything is not every play is for everyone. Not every movie is for everyone. There's so many things and so many different perspectives out there now. And so many, it's so much more accessible that yeah I think that you can just kind of it's it's literally choose your own adventure <laughs> do do whatever makes you happy like just you know not whatever as long as it doesn't harm people but you know yeah yeah it's it's definitely that's a big thing that I've learned and I and I didn't necessarily see when I first started it I, I was I was trying to create when I started doing the interview process I was trying to create a roadmap for myself and that is not, you can't do, there's, it's not achievable. <laughs> you know, you just, you, it's, you're never going to know. I had a full idea of like what it was going to be like after I graduated and moved back to LA. And the last four years have been nothing, pleasantly nothing what I thought, you know, <laughs> and it hasn't, always, it hasn't always been great. And I still work at a restaurant sometimes. So like that sucks, but it's also given me a lot and, and taught me a lot about people and myself. And, and so it's, I, I can't be mad at it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, I think with what you do, you know, taking in people's stories and giving it a new life, it's something that you can take with you anywhere. And like you say, you can just talk to people while you're bartending and you're gathering stories and voices 
um, that you can share with other people. And I remember I got really excited um, when I heard our the Play for Keeps director, James, uh, say that you were traveling and taking your interviews with you. This was last year, I think. It, was, it sounded like you went on a, a cross-country road trip. That was Stephanie. That's my oh. best friend. And who did science night. Yes. She did one on the road trip. Um, but I have everywhere I go, I go, I always interview people. I didn't interview anyone in Japan. I was just going to ask language, you just got yeah, back but, for listeners who didn't well, know. She just went to Japan. Yes, <laughs> I just went to Japan for two weeks with my sister for her 30th birthday. She was like, it's going to be a destination birthday. Just <laughs> you and me. <laughs> um, it was great. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, the language barrier was so much more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Um, I had a very, very in-depth conversation uh, with a bartender about whiskey and how it related to, to life. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't really based in, in love. And they're also, like, I found, too, in um, Japanese culture, they're a little more private about that kind of thing also. So I think there was that element of it, too. Um what were some of the things that came out in the whiskey talk? Oh, man. I mean, he was just, he was, I don't even, like, I can't even, like, remember. Um, it was just so, because I, I was drinking whiskey. I think that's, that's the key. I can't, I can't do that while I'm interviewing people. Uh, he just kept being like, try this one. Try this one. This is, this reminds me of, and he would, like, and he had, like, very broken English, but he would be, like, you know, this is the whiskey that I drank when I, uh, like, I don't even remember what he said. I, I don't want to do him injustice, but it was, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible trip and always good to kind of get outside of your routine and, and see something different. And especially in Japan, it's like such a culture shock and there's no blending in. Like I'm a white girl with very big curly hair and like, people are just like, who's this? Like, what are you, what are you doing here? Um, is that like the yeah, opposite of how though. you feel when you're here? It feels, I don't know, I feel like somebody like you who's able to, to draw out from people like these very personal stories, you must have this like sense of just kind of like flying under the radar, kind of inconspicuous. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely is the, like, we could be, I mean, in LA, it's a lot of like, I, I, I interview a lot of like Lyft drivers <laughs> because that's, that's like the, the real like we're, we're truly only going to know each other for this 20 minute drive you might as well tell me whatever what i was saying uh oh you uh, uh i was as you were talking i was thinking oh she's like using humans as a uh, a canvas and her her paint tools um but you were talking about interviewing lift drivers like the world oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's <laughs> just it's that's short and then you get out of the car and then you know that's that um but yeah, you get I mean, such a broad spectrum of people who are Lyft drivers, too. It's not, like, one type of person. Oh, yeah, and it's tons of people who are, um, you know, especially in L.A., and everything costs so much, and everyone has five different jobs. I mean, there have been people that are like, yeah, I'm a teacher, and I'm also, I drive Lyft after school. And it's like, well, that sucks. Like, tell me more about that. Like, you're with, like... 40 kids in a class size every day and then you're um then you have to like drive around like I don't know it, it's so frustrating um everything's so expensive but um <laughs> that's a whole nother tangent I could go off on forever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, what are you working on uh, now? Are you taking some space from uh, artichoke hearts or um, is, do you have other projects in the hopper at the moment? Definitely taking space from artichoke hearts. Um, I'm working on a thing that I, I can't like really talk about. Um, okay. You, but you have us all project. intrigued now, though. <laughs> I know. I hate being that person that's like, I can't talk about this. That's okay. um, but it's a project with my dad. My dad is a um, is a director and an animator. And so we're kind of collaborating on something together. Um, that's, awesome. that's all I'll say. <laughs> Be all spooky about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. It's a lot, it's more of the same. It's um, stuff that's I've ex- experienced in the last four years from my perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I just, I also, in this time, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to write, like how, how my writing process is because I didn't go to school for writing, which is, I'm kind of happy that I didn't because I'm just writing it the way that it makes sense to me. Um, rather than like getting formal training with it. But I, mm-hmm. it also is like a big learning curve of trying to figure out what, what works for me and in, in a process and how I can not procrastinate. And, but then also knowing like sometimes like the procrastination days are very necessary. <laughs> they are. I've been giving myself some permission to accept those days because I'm a natural procrastinator and I definitely beat myself up over it. But there are yeah. some days where you just like, you know, got to lead into it exactly and you need to live life so that you can write about it later (laughs) exactly yeah um uh, my cousin's husband uh is a writer in LA and um he uh went to this uh writing group I don't know I feel like they met weekly and um they would read pages together. They'd do critiques. Sometimes they'd have, like, actors come in and do readings for them to, like, help polish their, their writing. It sounded like a, a very effective uh, learning tool. Yeah, I actually just did. That was the, the workshop I was talking about earlier. Like, I just did this script workshop with a friend. Um, it was, like, five other writers we all read we had actors come in and read our scripts. We weren't allowed to read our scripts, which was when I had the experience of the girl reading my voice out okay, loud to yeah. me, which I like, if I, in college, I would have just never done that. My ego is too big. And I would have just been like, well, this is my part. Like I have to read it, but it was very free hearing someone else read my own work and, and incredibly helpful for me to learn how to, take criticism and know when like the biggest thing that I've learned from like a, from other writers and like a writing group like that is if, um, if I'm sure that like, if I, if I get a critique about like a piece of the story or a scene that I know, like this scene has to be in it in some way, but I get a critique and it, and it, it's clear that like, it didn't, wasn't, didn't make sense to them then that's my job to clarify it and have it make sense for them rather than just being like, okay, they hated this scene. I'm taking it out. Like knowing like what criticism is like, I can like change this and polish it from that criticism and what criticism you just have to like leave on the table, you know? Yeah. And just say, okay, well then that's, if that didn't make sense to you, then I don't know. Yeah. It seems like a Um, confidence thing, but also just like becoming more aware of yourself as a writer and what, 
is true to you and authentic to you for your the story that you're telling. Totally. And yeah, and it's and it's hard. I mean, it, like I said, like with acting, I could get a critique anytime and I I, I mean, some of my my probably my acting peers would disagree like I was like, "Cool, I'll, I'll just take this and, and learn from it." I think it I'll, like looking back on it, I can think that. But with writing, I it, I do take it more personally, and so I'm just trying to learn how to not take it personally because it's if I want to do it pro- like professionally, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I haven't taken that next step. I have some some writing of my own, and I've just been kind of like keeping it on the back burner, kind of afraid to let it out into the world. But I have my dad's voice in my head telling me that I'm not in charge of outcomes. The point is just to like exactly. put it out there. And then keep moving. <laughs> but you also, it, it, it can be, and what I started with is there are three friends that I really, really trust to read my work. And I can say to them, I just want you to read this and I want to talk about it with you. I don't want you to read this and give me like notes, you know, like formal. And so I started with that and like, let's just talk about it. And like, I want to hear what you got from it. And then it slowly became, okay now just send me a page of, of some notes and some ideas and thoughts, you know? And so I, I've been slowly working my way into being able to accept critiques, which is a really important thing to be able to do. It is. Um, it helps propel the work forward because then it's not created in a vacuum. (laughs) Exactly. And, and the show, and artichoke hearts was created in a vacuum. Like I literally, um, I was supposed to have two of my professors come in and see, uh, the show before I performed it and I just never got my shit together and they were so busy and like, I just like it never, um, happened. And, uh, I, when I performed it for the first time, it was in front of like the lighting guy, my best friend, and then like one faculty advisor. And it was like the night before I was supposed to do it. And I, had no idea how, how it was going to be like perceived and what people were going to think about it, which in a way was like kind of made it more exciting. But now I can see like, that was insane. Like I had to have a lot of confidence in that. And I didn't. So like, that was why it's so weird because I, I really was like, well, I'm just going to do this. Cause I have no, I have nothing else to do. And this is literally how I have to graduate college. So I have to perform this. Um, well, and the then beauty ended up yeah. The beauty of that is that that was just that was just your first step. And then you did get to 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 work on it further. And it is exactly. like a living, growing piece. Yes. Um, so we're almost at our time. And I did want to just ask one more question. Uh, and, you know, if nothing comes to you, that's OK. But I was curious if you had any kind of like small thoughts about, uh, I guess, what you think about love at this point. You've already kind of talked about it in the episode a little bit, but I'm just curious if you had like a short thing that um, is like a, a, a tagline, I guess, or not a tagline, but like a, an end note to kind of like where you're at um, and this I artichoke think... heart's journey. Yeah. Um... I mean, more of the same, just that I think that it can't be seeking out love. Like, it can't be this external thing of trying to please other people. It has to be for you and another person if if that's what you want. But it's also, like, I feel so cheesy and 
whatever saying this, but like it, so much of it is just like, you really have to love yourself and, and feel good about where you are before being open to anything else. And, um, it's self-love is like, it's such an eye rolly thing to sometimes talk about, but like, it's, it's vital. And, and if you don't have that foundation of, of, I could be alone and be in my own skin and like, I could be okay. And I have, you know, this person that I can go to for this in a platonic way. And, you know, it's, I'm not being very articulate and I think I'm right there with you. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many reasons why there have been so many, you know, movies and and TV shows written about people in their twenties because so much of it is like, you know, second college of like trying to like figure out like, well, how do I now exist? You know, how do I, how do I do all these things and still find a way to be happy? And, so I think it's, yeah, it's definitely, um, I've grown to, to not think about love in terms of another person, but think about love in terms of myself, which is I'm eye rolling <laughs> while I say that, but it really is true. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, um, before we go, I do have to ask uh, a few questions that we're asking all of the guests, um, uh, to get a beat on your thoughts about play for keeps. And so, uh, I'm curious, like what appeals to you about play for keeps? I mean, I think it's, it's so many people are, when James first brought this up to me, everyone's listening, you know, on commutes and things to like radio is really making a comeback. The podcasts are really popular. And I think that for a while, theater was is and still is is kind of inaccessible to people um and so I love this idea that you can just be sitting on the train and listening to a new play that you've never heard before um so I think that that's incredible and I think that as it grows and people know that it exists you know it it can only be bring more accessibility to theater Um, What do you think are its strengths and its weaknesses? I mean, I think that, um, I think it's just that not, it's not like widely reaching yet, but, um, I think, I mean, I think it's, it can only be good. I don't even, I can't even think of any like weaknesses. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I think it's great. I just think it's so cool. I need to listen to more of the plays. I've listened to a couple of them. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a great idea and a great way for, for people who are making theater, um, to be able to, a resource for them and just people who want to just listen to a story. Yeah. That is a lot of what we're excited about for it too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, wonderful. We are two minutes away from our time, but um, I'm just so appreciative. This was really wonderful. Uh, yeah. Thank you for making the time, even though thank you're you very for... jet lagged. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't even know what day it is. Is it Sunday today? <laughs> it is Sunday. It's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm wearing my clattering. I put it on this morning. Oh, like, that's right. Here. I remember I, yeah. I, when I saw you wearing yours, um, I was really excited. Clotta Sisters. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> What are you working on right now, other than just you're doing some writing that's... Yeah, I'm trying to do, yes, my uh, 
poetry on the side, but um, oh, cool. Play for Keeps has kind of been taking up my full energy yeah. and focus. It's just, I love podcasts and was super on board from the get-go, um, and so I've just been really enjoying working on the website and getting this free uh, podcast, The Conversation Series, going with our podcast producer and James and the whole team, so um, yeah, it's just been taking up all my energy, which is good. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah, that's the best. It is. It doesn't feel like it. Well, you should send me some of your stuff if you ever need a an eye. Oh, thank you. I'd be I'd be happy to happy to see. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, did you have anything for me before we go? I mean, I think just thank you guys for doing this so much, and I'm I'm so happy and excited for the future of this all of it I think it's great me too I feel like it has kind of like boundlessness energy to it like there's just so many ways that it can reach people and so many different avenues we can take it or like yeah I'm just yeah it's a very exciting project absolutely awesome well I hope you get lots of rest (laughs) thank you so much I'm gonna try to stay up for a while (laughs) yeah no more disorienting naps yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well have a great rest of your day Thank you, you two. Nice talking to you. Nice talking with you, too. Okay, Okay. bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our premium collection of pod plays at playforkeeps.org for a collection of plays made in Ashland, Oregon. Play for Keeps podcast is produced by Ashland New Plays Festival and Play for Keeps. This podcast was produced by Andy Herndon, Art direction by Cara Quinn Lewis. Play for Keeps is directed by Jim Pagliasotti. Written content is edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to Kyle Hayden, Jackie Apodaca, and Beth Cantor. This is your host, Mary Claire Erdenast. Please visit us online at playforkeeps.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Help us spread the word. Like, follow, share, and retweet. See you next time at Play for Keeps podcast. Books are meant to be read. Plays are meant to be said. <laughs>